The words of Jesus. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Let's pray. Lord, love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all, and that is reality. That's the way you spoke to us. Lord Jesus, use your words in this passage for good ends. These words were intense and unexpected. Um, then they were jarring, and I pray their impact would be the same today. Holy Spirit, arrest us with these words and give us hearts that answer the call to follow. In Jesus' name, amen. You can take a seat. Well, good morning, New Life Church. My name is Eric. I'm one of the pastors here. Grab your Bibles, turn them to Matthew 8. That's where we're going to be. Put them on your laps. We get to hear more of the words of Jesus this morning. We get to walk through them, and I am excited about that. It's good to listen to Jesus and hear what he has to say. So I'm one of the pastors here, but I also have a day job, and in my day job, I am a sales guy. That's right, one of those guys. I'm in mechanical sales. I sell HVAC projects like installing furnaces or air conditioners or boilers or chillers in big commercial buildings. And when you are in sales, there is always the temptation to paint the rosiest picture, to describe the path of least resistance, the easy way out. If you just go this direction, it's going to be so easy. And if someone comes up and wants to buy something, I don't want to discourage them, right? I don't want to discourage them away from buying something because the project may not be as easy as they think it is, or their budget is not as big as it should be, or the amount of time it will take is far longer than they think it will be. You don't want to discourage someone who wants to buy. It's just reality. The temptation is to say that if, yeah, 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 if everything goes really well, it, it could cost as much as you think it is. But I'm also going to include this list of exclusions just in case things go sideways. Anyone read the terms and conditions on their cell phone contract? Yeah, me neither. Because no one wants to hear, it will cost you double what you planned. It will take four times as long as you want. And oh yeah, supply chains are backed up, so I can't actually get that equipment tomorrow. It will take six months to get that equipment. These are the type of conversations I have. They're not fun. So we are always tempted when they say, here is my budget, here is my timeline, I want to do this thing. You're always tempted to say, yes, it could cost that much. If everything goes really, really, really well, we can execute the work that quickly. Yes, if a miracle occurs and there happens to be a unit someone forgot existed in the back of the warehouse behind the box of fairy dust, yes, we can get one of those in two weeks. If someone comes wanting to buy, you don't want to discourage them. But Jesus, Jesus is a bad sales guy. He has customers who want to buy and he sets the expectation so that people are potentially scared away. We're going to hear him lay it out how it is. 
He doesn't paint an unreasonably rosy picture. He does not minimize the downside. In fact, this morning in Matthew 8, we will see Jesus commands to follow him first. There is no guarantee of comfort, and it will cost you everything. Jesus says, follow him first. There is no guarantee of comfort, and it will cost you everything. Let's pick up on the story in verse 18 of chapter 8. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. Now, let me just start by stating the obvious. Jesus is an exciting person to have in town, right? This is a small town on the lake. It's a little lake community at the north end of the Sea of Galilee. He has walked up a mountain and preached the Sermon on the Mount, a sermon spoken with authority, a sermon that proclaims a different, coming, better, right-side-up kingdom. And it is right and good when compared to all the brokenness you see around you. And in this kingdom, the meek and the poor in spirit are blessed. It sounds good, right? The mourning shall be comforted. The peacemakers are the sons of God. The kingdom way of life is directed toward the kingdom down to the very heart level. Driven by the condition, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Jesus is preaching a lot of good news. Jesus preached the kingdom. He preached the way of life. He preached something astounding and new and wonderful. And people were listening in this little lakeside town because it's been good stuff. Good news proclaimed. And he comes down the mountain and the proclamation of the kingdom was backed up by action. Jesus comes to be with us. He gets in close. We read this last week. He gets in close to disease and sickness and illness, and he heals it. He heals leprosy and paralysis. It's amazing. Jesus causes real reversal of the physical brokenness of the world. So these people are listening and watching and the kingdom is proclaimed in authoritative words and practiced in action by Jesus. He just walked into Peter's house and healed his mother-in-law who had a fever. We can't even do that today. We think we can because we take some Tylenol or some Advil and we think our fever goes away. No, we just stopped it for a moment. It will come back until it has done its course. Jesus walks in and stops a fever. That's astounding. And people are gathering because he's doing things. He's healing people and he's casting out demons and he's healing the sick. And he's up close and personal with these people who have maladies and are sick. And because of the authoritative words and the actions, there are a bunch of people very interested in what Jesus is doing. There's a crowd saying, this guy speaks differently. And he's doing things. As though a bunch of people are saying, i got to check this guy out. What is going on? This, this is interesting. And we pick up at that point in the story, and Jesus sees the crowd around him, and he gives orders to go to the other side. He's probably talking to his closer crew, that smaller group of disciples that have traveled with him, and they are on the north side of the lake, and their next destination is going to be on the southeast side of the lake. So Jesus says, let's go. We're going to go somewhere. 
Let's go. Let's get in a boat. These guys used to be fishermen, if you recall. Let's go to the other side. It's about 11 miles across to the the long part of this lake. The command is go, and Jesus starts walking. Now, I want to point out how many coming and going type words are in this passage. It's only five verses. But there is a concentration of coming and going language in a very, very small passage. Words are not wasted in Scripture. And when you see repetition like that, it's something to emphasize. You probably pull out your pen and start underlining. There is an economy to Scripture, and if the same type of words are used many times in five verses, pay attention. It's not by accident. Here we have Jesus commanding, go. We're going that way. In the next verse, the scribe came up, or is the one coming? And he says, I will follow, or literally, come after. Later, we hear someone say, let me go. And Jesus says, no, follow, or literally, come after. And he eventually says, you need to leave. All of these are action and direction. A direction must be chosen, and then you start walking. You cannot just hear the proclamation of the kingdom and see it beginning to work and then do nothing. You are coming or you are going. You are with or you are without. So watch for this as we go. Because Jesus starts it right here when he orders to go. And there is a direction Jesus is heading and you can follow Jesus or not. And a scribe, in verse 19, a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. You can almost see it, right? Jesus says, go, and he's walking down the beach so they can get in a boat, and a scribe comes up and says, hey, 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 wait for me. And what is a scribe? A scribe is the one scribbling. They are the ones who are copying Scripture, literally working through, they didn't have Matthew yet, but this big chunk of pages, literally looking at this, writing it out so it can be read as a copy, making copies for others to read, maybe to go to different synagogues. And they have a familiarity with the text because they are writing it down. You're going to know a book pretty well if you literally copy it by hand, right? They have studied the law, the law of God, the prophets. They know these words. All that to say scribes are well-versed. They know this book. They have written down its words. It is the scribe's job to know Bible. They know their Bibles well. And this scribe, he has likely been listening to the sermon and hearing the distinctiveness of this newly proclaimed kingdom and watching this Jesus guy heal sickness and disease. And hey, this is pretty cool. So he comes up to Jesus. That's the good direction, right? It's always a good direction if you're coming up to Jesus. And says, teacher... I will follow you wherever you go. Now, this sounds pretty good to our ears, yeah? He calls him teacher, wherever you go. That sounds pretty good. And this is also one of the only times a scribe comes up to Jesus in a positive way. Usually, if you read your Bible and you hear about the scribes and the Pharisees, usually they're out to trick Jesus. And the scribes and Pharisees came up to ask him a question. They're going to they're trap him catch him in a contradiction, attempt to make him say blasphemy or some error or something. If you read Scripture looking for stories with scribes in them, they usually have 
the scribes and the Pharisees desiring to catch Jesus in a misapplied verse or an incorrect view because they know their Bibles. They're, they're experts. They think they can maybe trick Jesus. But this is a different way for a scribe to come up. He is coming and wanting to follow what is going on. He wants to get closer. But he calls him teacher. And every other time in Matthew, when we hear someone call Jesus teacher, they end up not believing or walking away. They don't become a disciple. Why is that? In light of everything he has heard, in light of everything this crowd has heard from Jesus, to call him simply teacher is to put some distance with the use of that word. Do you remember the ending of the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus goes up on the mountain and proclaims the kingdom and talks about the kingdom. And Matthew says, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them with one who had authority and not as their scribes. So the scribe comes up and says, I like what you are saying, fellow professor. As though to say, you are saying some interesting things and I would like to listen, but I'm not necessarily submitting. We may be on par. Hey, Mr. Commentator. Usually, if there is more trust, we hear someone call Jesus Lord. That is a way to recognize authority. The leper did that. The centurion did that. All called Jesus Lord when they're asking for action, for healing. You remember that? So here's a little good initial step, but there is a half-heartedness to the statement here. There is not an appropriate commitment to what he is saying. As though he is saying, Jesus, you're saying some pretty cool things. I'd like to hang around with you as you go about and teach. If you go across the lake, that sounds good to me. We can hang out over there. It's not that far. If you go over to the other side and stay over there, that would be great. This could be fun. I may learn some things, fellow teacher. You can almost hear like the non-committal college guy talking to the girl, right? Hey, I, I like spending time with you. Can we, can we like spend more time together? I, I like you, like you and it, yeah, we could hang out. What's the phrase? If you like it, you should have put a ring on it, right? The commitment needs to be appropriate. Are you committed or are you just playing games? Are we just hanging out? Your actions better have the appropriate level of commitment, and teacher is not it. So Jesus will tell him like it is. Jesus says to the scribe, and Jesus said to him in verse 20, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This is his response. This is Jesus' response to a warm lead. Someone called him wanting to buy, and this is what Jesus said. Someone said, I want to buy what you are selling, and Jesus says, you have no idea how much that costs. You can have this all for one giant payment of all of your comfort. You think you are engaging something comfortable. There is nothing comfortable here. He says, we're going to the other side of the lake, but there is no bed waiting for me on the other side of the lake. The current condition of Jesus is without security, without home, without certainty, no guarantee of comfort. 
Jesus says, you've seen foxes. They're always rummaging around, trying to find some food. But even they have holes. They get to go hang out in some holes. They have a place to stay. And the birds, well, even, even though they're flying around, they have a nest somewhere. They can hang out in the tree. They can hang out in the nest that's under the eave. If you are following me, Jesus says, wherever I go, you have got to know that I go to places that are not comfortable. I have less than the foxes. I have less than the birds. You need to understand how much commitment is required. If you are looking for comfort, it's not this way. If you are looking for security in house or home, it is not this way. As though Jesus is setting the expectations, you are not jumping into butterflies and rainbows, my friend. Following Jesus does not mean this life gets more comfortable. Jesus, as one writer puts it, has a lack of middle class security. Jesus has proclaimed the kingdom and proven its effect and has pointed to the reality of its future establishment. There's going to be a kingdom fully established in the future, but in the now, it may not be comfortable. In the now, it is not cushy. Jesus is saying, let's go, but I am leading into lack of comfort. While we wait for the kingdom following, Jesus brings no guarantee of comfort right now. Spoiler alert, we have a king who died, right? We just sung of the wonderful cross. There's resurrection on the other side of that cross, but there is suffering. And in our context of comfort... Can we just admit that? We have a context of comfort. This makes this really hard to press into for you, for me, because we have middle-class security. We have the thing that King Jesus lacked, so it is difficult for us to feel the cost or expect that there should be a cost at all. These words don't ring with automatic reality because life is comfortable for us. It is all too tempting to think I can just bolt on following Jesus to the rest of my life. It's going pretty good over here. I'll just bolt on Jesus because it hasn't seemed to cost much. Friends, that is just the lulling tones of the environment we have been accustomed to. Not many of us have ever wondered where we are going to lay our head down at the end of the day. Not many of us have wondered where the next meal will come from, but Jesus has. And he is telling us that following him is to set aside any certainty we have in the current comforts of this life. Following Jesus does not include a certainty that you will have the things that make you comfortable. Jesus does not guarantee Jesus plus comfort, Jesus plus nice house, Jesus plus memory foam mattress. If you have it better than the foxes and the birds, then you can thank God you have it good. But beware that you do not pursue comforts at the cost of following Jesus. Do not think when experiencing comfort that "Ah, you have arrived. This is the good life. 
we should not be ultimately comfortable in the time before the kingdom has arrived, right? Jesus has set the bar, we will never find home here. You should feel uncomfortable here. To follow Jesus is to admit that all of this is broken and that we need a new kingdom. To follow Jesus is to agree that the coming kingdom is better than this one. To follow Jesus is to say it is worth the cost now because then all will be made new. Why should I be comfortable here when things are still broken? Do you see it? It's so hard because we're so comfortable. Don't pursue comfort in place of Jesus. Don't pursue ease in place of Jesus. Don't pursue vacation in place of Jesus. Don't pursue the house or the car or the barca lounger in place of Jesus. And don't pursue Jesus just as a teacher. That title is insultingly little for Jesus. Did you catch his title for himself? The scribe comes up and says, teacher, almost fellow teacher, right? He says, teacher, I would like to tag along. And Jesus says, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus is saying, I am more than a teacher. I am more than an explainer of interesting ideas. I am more than a conversation facilitator. I am more than a philosopher. I am more than a commentator. I am the Son of Man. Son of Man, what? This is a reference, this is the first time, but this is a reference that Jesus will start using a lot, and it's a reference from the book of Daniel in this big, thick stack of pages that the scribe would have copied down by hand. A book he would have known because he'd written it down word by word. Daniel is the Daniel of Daniel in the lion's den. You know that story. He worked within the structures of the Babylonian government, the Babylonian broken system. And God gave him some dreams that pointed to the future redemption of the world. He gave him a vision of a son of man. And Daniel has a dream of the son of man in chapter 7. And in chapter 7 he says, I saw in the night visions... And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, that's God the Father, and was presented before him. And to him, that is the son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Showstopper, anyone? As though to say to this scribe, I am not some mere teacher. And though in the present there may not be a place to lay the head of Jesus, one day that head will wear a crown. Amen? All dominion is His. All peoples shall serve Him, and His rule and His reign will not be temporary. 
It cannot be thwarted nor destroyed. It will not be threatened by evil at its border. The Son of Man will have glory and a kingdom. Jesus takes on that title to raise the bar of who you should think he is. Jesus is not some mere teacher. So you cannot follow him as such. Your commitment must match the man. And this man is the Son of Man. And there is so much weight wrapped up into this title. One writer notes four factors in it. There's a political component, right? You can hear those political overtones, but it's not nationalistic. It is not limited to a single nation. It's global. It's all of creation. It has overtones of divinity and humanity. And there is an assumption of the redemption of a people. Sounds like Jesus, right? Jesus, the Son of Man. So what does Jesus do when he has a warm lead? When he has someone that wants to buy what he's selling? When he has someone about to like his Facebook page? He says, hold up. Don't just unthinkingly follow me. Don't just mosey along in the crowd. You can't do this half-heartedly. Jesus is not after Twitter followers or Facebook followers. He's not after likes on his Instagram. And it is as though he questions that small amount of following and invites people into something that will cost so much more than some space on their newsfeed. He says, intentionally jump in and follow Jesus with the weight his title requires. It is worth the sacrifice of all comfort. So don't just call him teacher. He's the son of man. If you follow Jesus, there is no comfort guaranteed, but there is glory and kingdom in the waiting. Amen? Another of the disciples in verse 21. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Another comes up and says, Lord, good work there, right? That's a different posture, a different posture than the scribe. He wants to follow. He seems to start with a more substantial understanding, but then he says, let me first go and bury my father. Well, let me set up a little bit of the context here. The customs of the day in this Jewish community would be to sit in vigil during the death of a father while you're waiting for a family member to pass away. There would have been a prescribed mourning before eventual burial. There would have been an expected and necessary thing, many things for this son to do in the 24 hours before the burial of his father. And those obligations would have conflicted with him being able to listen to someone preach or be part of an excited crowd. If his father was dead at this moment, he would have been with the family. He would have not been with the crowd. I think this is instead a son talking about being there with an aging father who is in the last season of life but is still alive. As though to say, I need to take care of my dad until he's finished with this season of life, until his life is complete. He's going to move in with us. He's going to come into our house. We're going to sell his house. We're going to wind down his assets. We're going to take care of him for a while. 
This is the request of a son to take care of his father and tidy up the affairs. And then when all that's done, then I can follow you. This could be several months. This could be a couple years. This is to say, I have some long-term obligations that I need to take care of, but when those are done, then I can follow you. How does that sound? Jesus, the Son of Man, Lord, I have some other commitments. I have some prior obligations, some priorities before you, Jesus. Let me first go. Jesus is asking to come after him, and he's saying, let me go. He starts with the right turn, but he places conditions on Jesus. He places something prior to Jesus. Jesus is the Son of Man. To him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. All peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. Does anything go before the Son of Man? No. Does anything trump Jesus? No. What if it is a really good thing? What if it is an important thing, a valuable thing? This disciple, he's placing a good thing, a great thing even, family. We love family, right? He's placing that in the slot above Jesus. And again, see the direction. You want me to follow you, to come after you. But before I do, I would like to place something in front of you. I would like to place family in front of you. His question is, can my first action in following you be to go somewhere else? In order to follow you, can I go first? Can my prior action be leaving you? And then when I am ready, can I follow you? These are the conditions he is setting up, and they are an inappropriate direction, an inappropriate posture to the Lord, to Jesus to the Son of Man. I can't follow Jesus. You can't follow Jesus by walking the other way. You can't follow Jesus by going toward something else, even if that something else is a good thing. And 22, And Jesus said to him, Follow me, or come after me. And leave the dead to bury their own dead. Who just hears this and winces a little bit? As though to say, ooh, that's a little harsh, Jesus. Who would be tempted to make this a little easier for the guy ready to buy? I would. Yeah, just, just call me up when you're ready. I'll be here when you're ready. Not Jesus. The harshness points to the priority of Jesus. Jesus says, follow me. You come after me. Your conditions show that you do not understand who is calling you to follow. Jesus is the king of life. He has proclaimed the kingdom. He is the king that has said, there is a way that leads to life. Follow me if you want to go there. If you stutter or pause in your following of Jesus, then you are following a path other than that of life. If you want to go another direction than the path of life, you are necessarily concerning yourself with death. 
Even a good thing like family can be made into an alternate God in the place of Jesus. It makes no sense to tell Jesus just to wait. He is the one leading the path to life. To go anywhere aside from him is to be concerned with death. If I pursue anything at the expense of Jesus, I am pursuing something that cannot lead to life. If I don't make Jesus a priority, but instead set up other relationships, even if they are good, as preeminent, I pursue death at the expense of the king of life. There are plenty of people who are concerned with death. Do you want to be preoccupied with the issues of death and burials? Leave all of that to those concerned with such things. And that is the parallel Jesus draws here. Leave the dead to bury their own dead. If you are desiring to follow something before you follow Jesus, the King of life, you, your emphasis on other obligations is the thinking of the dead. Jesus is saying, we are going to do the kingdom of life here. Let those that emphasize life come and the others deal with the death of mortal life. Leave that to them. Is this heavy? Of course it is. It seems sharp because it is sharp, but I think it is jarring because we do not have a fittingly comprehensive view of what it means to follow Jesus. It is so easy to think I can just fit him into the margins. I got my family here. I got my job here. I got my hobbies here. I got Jesus right here. You don't put the king of life in the corner. He cannot be at the bottom of the list. You don't just get around to following Jesus. Is Jesus saying you need to walk away from your family? If that family put itself in the spot of first and Jesus has to move, that's the only conclusion. Friends, I've seen this happen. People have been given the ultimatum, family or Jesus. You pick. Friends, this following of Jesus will cost you everything. Everything will be paid to the preeminence of Christ. Everything will fall below the priority of Christ. Jesus will be first and everything will be lower. And if you don't understand that, you may be concerning yourself with death instead of life. One writer says, The claims of the kingdom are absolute and immediate. These are the claims of the king. It makes no sense to wait to follow Jesus. It is antithetical to the call to follow Jesus half-heartedly. It is a misunderstanding of the kingdom to follow Jesus part-time. Jesus says, follow me and there is no guarantee of comfort Sunday through Saturday, every day. As you walk through this life following Jesus, there is no certainty of wealth, of health, of prosperity, or even a pillow. The cost of following Jesus is everything. It may cost you your comfort. It may cost you your job, your family, your priorities. All of these things, when put against Jesus, the Son of Man will be registered as insignificant. 
None of these things can take prominence or even emphasis if it means not following Jesus. This is what the scribe and the disciple heard. What did they do? They started to follow Jesus. When they heard him preach the kingdom, they started to listen and then they saw him act. They took a little step forward, but what did they do? What was their response? We don't know their response. Jesus laid it all out for them. We don't know their response. Jesus has laid it all out for you. What is your response? The call to follow will cost you everything. Following Jesus leaves no guarantee of comfort. Not a house, not a car, not a job, not a career, not success. The foxes and the birds may have it better than you. Following Jesus means everything else is less important. Nothing gets priority over Jesus. Not your family, not your spouse, not your kids, not your job, not your hobbies, not your entertainment, not your games, not your ideals or your politics, not your preferences or your dreams. Everything after Jesus is secondary. Jesus has set the expectation. He has not hidden anything from view. All the cards are on the table. And Jesus is calling you to follow him. The call to follow will cost you everything. But it is the king of the kingdom that is calling you. King Jesus is calling you to follow him. King Jesus has the coming kingdom, the right side up kingdom, the as it should be kingdom. He has all dominion. He has all glory. His kingdom will never fail or pass away. It will not be destroyed. Anything else you follow will fail and break. Jesus, King Jesus, will make all things new and the cost of the now will be but a fading memory in the glories of the then. Jesus says, follow me first. It will cost you everything. But you will get the king of the kingdom, Jesus himself. Will you follow him? Let's pray. Lord, press the intensity of this into our hearts. Let us not think that we can follow you on the side. Let us not think that a casual connection is sufficient. Lord, if there are things that we have on a pedestal higher than you, help us knock them down. Help us see them and direct our posture to you instead. Allow us the strength to leave all we should leave and empower us the walk of discipleship. Give us the ability to walk, the walk of following you, the Son of Man, the King of the kingdom. In the name of the King Jesus, we pray. Amen.